Welcome to The How of Business with your host, Henry Lopez, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here is your host. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez, and my special guest today is Candace Nelson. Candace, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. And I'm excited to have you. This is a, a conversation I've been looking forward to having and got lots of questions and lots of insights that Candace is going to share. She's going to share some highlights from her exciting entrepreneurial journey, including founding Sprinkles Cupcakes and valuable insight into what it takes to achieve success as a small business owner. She's got a new book coming out, so we'll chat about that as well. But if you want to receive more information about the Howa business, including the show notes page for this episode and how to continue supporting my show and receive exclusive content and discounts through a Patreon membership, just visit thehowabusiness.com. So for those of you who may not know, and there's a lot to know about Candace Nelson, but she is a serial entrepreneur, a New York Times bestselling author, a Wall Street Journal contributor, an angel investor, a TV personality, an executive producer, and a mom. Candace worked in investment banking and then at an internet startup before shifting gears to follow her passion and attend pastry school. And in 2005, she opened the doors to Sprinkles, which is the world's first cupcake bakery, of which I am a fan and my daughter in particular is a fan. Uh, and despite the early naysayers, this tiny bakery in Beverly Hills disrupted the legacy bakery, bakery industry and ignited a worldwide cupcake phenomenon. It really did. And in 2012, Sprinkles introduced its cupcake ATM, which I have used, very interesting approach. Uh, it gets a cutting-edge contactless cupcake delivery system, which, of course, came in really handy during COVID. And today, Sprinkles has sold over 200 million cupcakes and has over 20 stores, 30 cupcake ATMs, and 1,000 employees. In 2017, Candace co-founded her latest venture, Pisana. Am I pronouncing that right? Pisana? Pizzana. Pizzana. So I got to yes. get that accent. Or Pizzana. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Embrace your inner Italian. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Pizzana, a fast-growing chain of award-winning neo-Neapolitan. We're going to have her explain what that is, that type of pizza. Neo-Neapolitan pizzerias leading the third wave, as she describes it, of pizza in the U.S. Pizzana cemented Los Angeles as a pizza destination and revolutionized pizza takeout with its innovative heat and slice at home method. So Pizzana also ships its frozen pizza nationwide. So it's available nationwide now. And in 2021, Candace co-created and executive produced a new show called Best in Dough. It's on Hulu and the show starring Pizzana executive chef Danielle Uditi. Is that how you pronounce her last That's name? That's right. Yeah. Okay. Danielle will be the uh, pizza executive chef on that show. Um, so also through CN2 Ventures, which is a family office and a venture studio, Candace has backed a diverse portfolio of startups in the specialty food, retail, health, wellness, and early childhood spaces with a focus on female and underrepresented founders. So not only does she have experience with successful business startups, but she's as a venture capitalist trying to help others and has done so successfully. So she has a broad wealth of knowledge. She, speaking of her TV appearances, Candace starred in and executive produced Netflix's Sugar Rush, one of my favorite shows, mm -hmm. and Food Network's Cupcake Wars. And she's also the author of the New York Times bestselling cookbook, The Sprinkles Baking Book, and her new to be released or will be released by the time you're listening to this episode. Her latest book is entitled Sweet Success, A Simple Recipe to Turn Your Passion into Profits. Candace lives in the Los Angeles, California area. Having said all of that, Candace Nelson, welcome to the show. Wow. Thank you for that beautiful introduction. And I'm so excited to be here and chat with you, Henry. Thank you. I appreciate that. I usually don't spend that much time in the bio because I feel like I, you know, as a listener podcast, always want to get back right into it, but you've done so much that I thought it was important to set the stage with, with uh, at least a synopsis. And, and where I'd like to start, Candice, is just the story, which I know, you know you've told a million times, but it's so inspirational. 
as I mentioned in the bio, this transition that you made from your career in investment banking to starting a cupcake bakery. Tell us briefly that story. How that how did that come to be? Of course. Yeah. It's definitely not the typical path from banking to baking. But you know, in my life, I had always followed really the expected path. I went to great schools. I got the grade. I went for that prestigious job right out of college, which was, you know, as a financial analyst at an investment bank. Then I jumped ship to go work at an internet startup. It was the height of the dot-com boom. And I was working at one in uh, in San Francisco in the late nineties. And I think at the time, looking back at young Candace, I really thought that I could stair-step my way to success. I thought if you followed these certain rules, success would follow. And then two things happened to me that really changed the trajectory of my career. The first was the dot-com bust. So I, you know, had done all the right things and all of a sudden I was, I'd lost my job and I was unemployed without any prospects. And then the second was 9-11. So, you know, in the wake of losing my job in 9-11, which was this really, really dark time in my life, I was kind of faced with the realization that nothing is guaranteed and everything could be over tomorrow. I mean, it's a morbid thought, but, you know, really it kind of crystallizes your focus when you think about things that way. And it was the first time I got really real with myself about what I wanted to be doing with my life. I really had never asked myself that question before. Um, And that is what led me to first to sort of veer off that well-trodden path. And that first big decision I made that changed really my life was opting to go to pastry school instead of business school. Business school would have been the next expected step for me. It's what all of my peers were doing. And I said, forget it. I want to do something that brings me joy. This could all be over tomorrow. I want to, you know, inject, I want to, I want to make a little bit of a difference in this world. And to me, that wasn't about crunching numbers. And so I thought I've always loved to bake. I'm going to go test whether I could potentially do this as a career, who knows? Um, and if I, if I decide no, at least I've had, you know, a really fun time learning to bake professionally. So I went to pastry school in San Francisco. Did you give yourself any kind of a window of time? I'm going to try this for 12 months or something like that. Yeah. I think the window of time really was the, you know, the time I spent the, the program duration, which was about nine months. And, but I really realized quite early on that I loved it. You know, it was so different than what I'd been doing. I was all of a sudden working with my hands and creating something tangible. I was working in this beautiful space, you know, this sweet kitchen with the sunlight coming in and the smell of coffee and baking bread. There was this organic garden in the back, you know, and I was making something tangible that I could give to someone and I could witness the change I was seeing. I could witness the delight in someone's eyes. And that was, it just was so meaningful to me. It really fueled me. So I learned very early on that I loved getting up, you know, at the crack of dawn and putting on my chef whites and, and getting my hands into, you know, beautiful ingredients and and making creative, delicious things. It didn't take me long to figure that out at all. Mm -hmm. Were, Were you married at this point in time? I was just recently married. Yes, yes. And so, from from your husband, uh, other family members, what what was the what was their thought that get go get this out of your system and then you'll come back to reality, or were uh, how was the pushback there? Yes, I think everyone thought it was sort of a fun hiatus for me from the corporate world. You know, go and be creative for nine months and then get back to work, basically go to business school or or go back into a, into a corporate job. But what happened was something very different. I decided I wanted to dedicate my life to baking. And the thing that's so interesting about it is I never really considered that as a career because at the time, you know, I went to a very progressive college and it was very much about sort of you know, I wanted to prove myself as a woman in this man's world. And so I never thought I could embrace the domestic arts, right? That was kind of regressive. That was like going backwards. But one of the things that, or one of the people that really made it sort of seem possible to me was Martha Stewart. You know, here was this really strong woman who had completely embraced the domestic arts and made it into big business. And I thought, okay, 
maybe it's okay to do that now. Maybe right. I'm not, you know, being anti-feminist by, you know, building a business around baking. And I ultimately came to terms with it because I loved it. I mean, at the end of the day, you have to be authentic to yourself. But even, it sounds like even in those early days, you were thinking, right, this is something I'm enjoying, I'm passionate about, but I but I do see where I could turn this into some kind of a business, yeah? Oh, yes, yes. So I was definitely enjoying exercising my creative side, but that business side was still there. You know, I, I, I had done a lot of number crunching as a financial analyst and I, I was kind of tired of it, but, you know, rest assured, I was still a business person at heart. And I knew that if I was going to go into baking, I wanted to do something entrepreneurial with it. I just, at that time, wasn't sure what that would be just yet. Right. Yeah. So when does the, the idea emerge for cupcakes specifically? So I initially out of pastry school started making special occasion cakes. I really just wanted to make the most creative creations I could. So I was making these multi-layered tiered cakes, sort of in the vein of a wedding cake. Mm -hmm. And so I was able to create, you know, these beautiful floral decorations out of gum paste and fondant and work with buttercream and tint buttercreams. And what I realized was as creatively fulfilling as it was, it wasn't good business. You know, someone had once told me to have a good business, you need to sell something that people could conceivably buy all the time, daily, mm. if, if possible, right? And special occasion cakes are by their very nature just for special occasions. And it's interesting, you asked me if I, if I was married, I had just planned my wedding. I was just recently married. And when I was planning my wedding, of course, I was nose deep in these Martha Stewart weddings ma magazines. <laughs> and I had noticed that cupcake towers were becoming a new alternative to the traditional wedding cake. And so I really kind of, that was sort of in my subconscious, right? And so when I started getting frustrated with these special occasion cakes, I thought, what could I make? that someone could conceivably buy every day. And I landed on the cupcake. And you have to remember for anyone who is a bit younger, cupcakes at the time, um, this was in 2000, were really still just for kids. You found them yeah. in supermarket bakeries. They were packaged mm -hmm. in plastic clamshells. They were not sophisticated. No. So the idea uh, that I had was to sort of marry this, the ingredients, the technique, the elegance that I was reserving for these special occasion cakes into something that people could eat every day, which was the cupcake. Were you thinking at that point in time about the ability to produce it at a larger scale component as well? I probably hadn't gotten quite that far yet. I started really small. I started working out of my kitchen. And at first I think my friends just felt sorry for me. So <laughs> they were ordering my cupcakes for their, you know, baby showers <laughs> and their parties. And they're like, Oh, Candace, she's going through a quarter life crisis. She left her <laughs> job. She's baking cupcakes. Let's support her. But then something interesting happened. Their friends started tasting my cupcakes and asking for my card and calling me. And then it just became this snowball effect where all of a sudden people were calling me and I could not figure out how they'd gotten my number. Interesting. So there was something going on. Yeah, no doubt. It was starting to spread. So what leads you to from taking that to, I'm going to open a cupcake shop? <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. I have to give my husband a lot of credit. He had his MBA. He was doing financial consulting, but he also had an entrepreneurial bug in I him. I see. And he saw what I was doing and how these cupcakes were taking off. And we started talking about this idea of a cupcake bakery. What if cupcakes were so, so great, so cool, so chic that they could stand on their own. And he said, you know what, Candace, if you can nail these recipes, I'll join you in this crazy mm. idea. And that was kind of, you know, at the time, because I, didn't have any entrepreneurial chops. I really needed that extra boost of confidence. Absolutely, yeah. And it really was sort of the the not to sound trite, but the wind beneath my wings, right? It was kind of like, okay, it's not just me. I've got his support. Let's do this. So I got to work just really perfecting the recipes, and then we got to work thinking about how do we reinvent the cupcake from the inside out and 
thinking really innovatively about what it meant to be a modern cupcake. And so we we really dove deep into the brand. We started looking for retail locations. We ultimately found our first spot in Beverly Hills. And people were like, a cupcake spot in Beverly Hills? <laughs> first of all, they were saying a cupcake spot in Los Angeles doesn't even make any sense because everybody there is into yoga and green juice. But one of the things that's interesting, and I talk about how important it is as, as an entrepreneur to sort of embrace this like outsider style thinking um, and have your eyes open to things that maybe everyone thinks are true, but maybe they're not as true as everybody says, such as no one in LA eats anything that's bad for them. Because as I drive around, I look around with my eyes wide open and I see a lot of donut shops and yep. I see a lot of burger shops. And I think, hmm, it definitely has this reputation, but I bet there's some people out there that would want a cupcake in this town. Yeah, no, that's a brilliant point. And it, it serves to the point also that we all want an indulgence. And it, and I think more so what you tapped into is that if I'm going to have a cupcake, it better be a darn good cupcake, right? Oh, that's exactly right. It better be worth it. I mean, everyone at the time was on the South Beach diet. Everyone was low carving it. <laughs> um, but there's nothing, I just speaking from personal experience, there's nothing more disappointing than a disappointing dessert, right? That's because right. You're, that's you're right. splurging. And then if it's not worth it, oh, then you feel really crappy. So exactly right. I thought if I can make the most delicious cupcake baked fresh all day long, because there's also, again, nothing worse than than a stale baked good, right? Which I was really amazed as I went around town. The standard for that was was quite low. You know, you'd go to a cafe. I would ask when the cookies had been baked and, you know, either the the front counter staff didn't know, or the answer was a few days before. Yeah. And I thought, how is this okay? Um, so just even the fact that we were baking fresh all day long was really innovative at the time. Now you disrupted that. You were providing something that, that people were willing to pay a premium for because it's an indulgence. It's a treat. It's a special thing. But to your point earlier, it's a special treat I can have every day. So it's not just a special event, special treat. So that frequency component was there. And then as you were scaling it, obviously, you can still make a high quality batch of cupcakes as opposed to a one-off designed cake. Yeah. That's right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it took me a while to figure out the scaling part and, you know, yielding up my recipes because right. when we first opened, we were, I thought we had enough cupcakes to get us through the day because everyone had said our cupcake shop wouldn't work. So I was sort of, you know, I was hoping that it would, but I was managing my expectations. I made 200 cupcakes, surely that would get us through the day. <laughs> but one of my assumptions happened to be very wrong, which was that people would come in and buy one or two cupcakes oh, as a snack. Right. They were coming in and buying one or two dozen. Mm. And that is what my recipes yielded at the time. So oh, we boy. were constantly out of cupcakes. Our production was a mess. And um, we really had to learn on the fly, on the job, which is you know, a great important lesson for all entrepreneurs out there. It's, it's easy to look around and think everybody knows what they're doing. Um, it, it's not true. We're all just trying to figure it out. Related to that, Candace, do you think that we're born as an entrepreneur and you, you, you know, if you're not, then you can't quite change that. Or can we learn those, those skills and traits? I really think entrepreneurship is for everyone. And that's, you know, one of the missions for me in writing this book, Sweet Success, is just that we see a certain type of entrepreneur glamorized in the media all the time. It's, you know, the entrepreneur that is building a rocket ship to the moon. It's, you know, the engineer or the tech savant. And what I want people to understand is that I came from a very risk-averse family. My, my dad was a corporate lawyer. I, you know, had been in a corporate career and um, there was nothing entrepreneurial about me. But I want to break down and demystify entrepreneurship. I made a great business out of a simple cupcake, you know, um, and I think entrepreneurship can be learned. I think as long as you have a passion, which I do believe is important and a plan and in sweet success, I, I hope to provide, you know, the answers to both to help you yeah. figure out what your passion is, what you want to, you know, throw your efforts into, and then also the tactical tools to make it happen. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. I think for me, that was one of the reasons I started this show is I, I believe as, just as well as you do that, you know, it's great to have those outliers, inspirational outliers, but for the rest of us, you know, it's about building a small business with much more limited resources and there are opportunities out there to do so. We don't all have to be the next tech billionaire startup, 
Um, and there's still opportunity there. As an entrepreneur now, as a business owner now, what would you say are some of the key things that it does for you or that it provides for you? Well, I think, you know, going out and betting it all on something you believe in and then being able to reap the rewards or, you know, conversely fail and pick yourself back up, builds your confidence in a way that nothing else can. Um, I think, you know, once you know that you've got you, you realize that you can do anything because even if the worst happens, you can pick yourself up again. But if the best happens, boy, isn't that an exciting way to go? So I, I really think that it's given me such confidence. It's given me also just, I'm very creatively fulfilled with what I'm doing. I love the fact that there's not a person that stands in the way between what the mark I want to make on the world and making that mark. And then, you know, it's also given me a lot of, well, obviously it's very hard work, but I think it goes in waves. And so sometimes you have incredible flexibility. You know, sometimes I can say, um, guess what? I'm going to go to the Halloween parade at noon on a Wednesday at my kid's school, which for some reason is always when it is <laughs> like, I don't know how people with nine to five jobs do it. Um, so I think it does ultimately provide freedom and flexibility, but it really just shows you what you're capable of. Like my whole goal in life is to live up to my potential. I don't want to have a bunch of regrets at the end of the day. And, um, and I don't, it's not all about success, right? It's, I do think that in our in our society, we do a really bad job with failure. I think we need to start normalizing failure a lot more because that is also very central to many entrepreneur stories, but we only hear about the successes. Right. Yeah. Those are the ones that get the, uh, the, uh, the attention, the applause, the coverage, but don't you think so much of it is Candace is that our educational system. And then of course, going in as an employee working for someone else, as much as there might be lip service given to us, we are trained and indoctrinated to avoid failure, right? That's right. Oh, absolutely. From Yes, through, from a young age, through our educational system. Um, you know, I once took a yoga class and I thought this, I don't take much yoga. I'm very stiff. I don't like <laughs> it, but I probably should do more of it. And the reason I don't like it is because I'm always the one wobbling in the back and I feel bad because you have all these serious yogis and they're all just, you know, poised with one leg, you know, stretching up to the sky and they're, they're not even moving. They're just static. And I cannot keep my balance to save my life. And I remember one yoga instructor said, I know she was doing it for me, but she pretended like she was talking to the room. And she said, <laughs> if you're not wobbling around and if you're not falling, you're not stretching yourself far enough. Mm, love that. I love that. And I thought, well, you know what? I can do that in spades. I'm wobbling around all over the place <laughs> in life, in yoga and everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Great analogy. All right. I want to touch for a moment more on this whole thing of passion versus do I actually have a business model here that can be profitable? When you think back to when you opened that first bakery, do you think you and your husband have put together what you felt at that time was at least a business model that showed the potential for profitability or was it all about passion? Oh no, you have to have both. I, and, and this also is my mission in sweet success. We think of entrepreneurship as being so risky. Well, it's not about taking a flying leap with your passion in hand. You know, it's about calculated risk. It's about, do I love what I'm doing? Do I believe in this idea? And then what does it look like as far as a business model? Is the market healthy? Is it growing? There are so many things to consider. And, um, you know, I also want to say that nothing is secure. Just like I learned with losing my job in the dot-com bust. I mean, look at all the people losing their jobs today. Right. So I think we have to sort of revisit how we consider entrepreneurship as risky. Um, no, not every idea is going to be the one. Um, but I think you have to be open to the opportunity because sometimes when that idea hits and it's the right time, you got to go for it. Yeah. I'm glad that you mentioned this because this is such a big point I try to make. You know, the question I always ask people to ask themselves, and I'm sure you asked yourself when you started that first bakery, what's the worst case scenario? What, if this fails, do we lose our home? Do the kids not get to go to college? Or is it just a, maybe I got to go get a job for a while, you know? So I think that that's one way to judge. Am I making this too risky? Am I putting too much in here? 
or the reality, which it is for most of us is that, yeah, it's going to be more embarrassing than anything else. Yeah. Right. Exactly. I think that's the exact conversation we had. We, we said to each other, well, this is a crazy idea. So we believe in it. We think it could be something, but if everybody else is right and it's a terrible idea and we fall flat on our faces and we've lost our entire, you know, life savings, which at that point was not that much. And we didn't have children and we didn't have a mortgage. So I want to be really clear about that. We thought, you know what, if there was ever a time to do it, let's do it now. Let's do it now. Yeah. You could pick up the pieces, dust off and get on. All right. One last question related to sprinkles. And I want to move on to the new concept. This is a question for my daughter, McKenna. She's the one that brought me to sprinkles. (laughs) How old is your daughter? She's 24 now and she lives in New York city in Manhattan. And, uh, but when she, we, we, she grew up in, in the Dallas, Texas area I have since moved to Florida, but that's where she first founded your location in the, I can't forget, remember the top part of town it is, but anyway, she's yeah, the one that discovered Center. it. Preston Center. Thank you. Yep. Exactly right. That's where she discovered it a number of years ago. And she's a big fan. And every time she'd come home from college, we got to go get a sprinkles cupcake. So that's how I begin to understand it and observe it, right. And develop a passion for it myself. And We've used the ATM there as well. But the question that she had, which I thought was insightful, is how did you, at that point in time, when you were first developing this, despite the naysayers, how did you, or maybe you didn't, address the issue of, is is this a fad? Is this a short-lived thing? Or does this thing have potential? What what were you thinking along that line back then? So I knew it was not a fad because... We all grew up with cupcakes. Cupcakes are intrinsically an American treat. And I know this because I grew up internationally a lot of my life. And so there are certain things that are just cultural, culturally beloved. And a cupcake was one of them. So I knew that I wasn't introducing some newfangled concept or some international treat that I had to educate people on. I just was elevating something that people already loved. And I had seen Howard Schultz do it with coffee, right? He had taken something that we used to all get at the gas station or, you know, brew with Folgers in our homes. And he had elevated it, um, you know, based on his experience watching Italian cafe culture, brought it to America um, and elevated something he knew we already all loved and drank every day. And so in that, yes, I was disrupting what was already out there, but I felt safe in the knowledge that this was already something that was known and beloved. And I also knew that everyone has a birthday every year. Mm -hmm. And if every, you know, a certain percentage of people in the community celebrated with a dozen sprinkles, cupcakes, um, that that alone could keep us in business. Yeah, no, brilliant. Thanks, thanks for sharing that. That's so insightful. So, I appreciate that that ability to have identified that this isn't something new. So I'm not. It's not whether people will like cupcakes. It's part of Americana. Uh, you were just elevating it, and and you felt confident there that it was more than just a trend. And All not right. to say that the media didn't try to, you know, oh, I, I should, literally a year in, they were like, well. <laughs> Cupcakes are dead and macarons are next, but nothing ever really (laughs) took off the way that cupcakes did. And I just always thought it's because they're just not as much of a cultural sort of mainstay. Right. Got it. This is Henry Lopez, briefly pausing this episode to invite you to schedule a free coaching consultation with me. I welcome the opportunity to chat with you about your business plans and offer the guidance and accountability that we all need to achieve success. As an experienced small business owner myself, I understand the challenges you're experiencing, and often it's about helping you ask the right questions to help you make progress towards achieving your goals. Whether it's getting started with your first business or growing and maybe exiting your existing small business, I can help you get there. To find out more about my business coaching services and to schedule your free coaching consultation, please visit thehowofbusiness.com. Take that next step today towards finally realizing your business ownership dreams. I look forward to speaking with you soon. All right, tell me about the new concept, this pizza concept. Tell me about this and just briefly how you came to this next idea. 
Of course. Well, I mean, what better to follow cupcakes up than pizza, two mm. very beloved foods in this culture. I needed something a little savory after all the sweets I'd eaten. I ended up actually finding um, by way of a pizza party, um, this incredible chef who had just immigrated from Naples, Italy. And I took one bite of his pizza and I said to myself, I got, who is the chef behind this pizza? This is just unbelievable pizza. So I went over, marched on over to the pizza oven and we ended up talking all night. We were basically two bakers. We, we mm. dealt in different types of dough, of course, but you know, he loves sprinkles. I loved his pizza. And he told me his story, which was he had come to the United States with $200 in his pocket and his grandmother's sourdough starter. And he had a dream to have a restaurant. And I just, I could see it. I could see all the pieces coming together. It was like a wow. vision. Yeah. And I thought, I want to do that with you. And so the idea behind Pizzana is that it's the best of Southern Italy meets the best of Southern California. Mm. So Daniele has brought this incredible tradition of Neapolitan pizza to the United States, but true Neapolitan pizza is quite soupy in the middle. Right. If you've ever had in Italy, it's usually a fork and knife situation. Well, Americans don't want to eat their pizza. You know, my my knife. wife hates that part of it, of the yes. typical Neapolitan pizza. Yeah, exactly. So we like a pizza slice that we can pick up and it holds. Yep. We still love that characteristic chew and the char and that great crust, right? So Daniele's pizza is neo-Neapolitan because he has adjusted it slightly so that it is perfect for American tastes. Um, and it's because he comes from a family of bread bakers, actually. So he's already kind of, you know, um, messed with the recipe a little bit, which actually ruffled a lot of feathers back home in Italy. Mm, but so, so we started this restaurant together. Um, and this concept is really growing. Uh, I consider it to be a leader in third wave pizza. When you think about Domino's was sort of the first, and then these, uh, you know, speedy concepts like blaze and customizable concepts, um, were next. And now it's really more about sort of old school, um, Italian, uh, you know, artisanship, um, and kind of bringing like slow food to the table with this third wave of pizza concepts. And it's just really, it's really delicious. We have three locations in growing in Southern California and we're moving, um, into the Texas market this fall. Wow. And why the, be able to order it, I'm assuming it's uh, partially baked or not baked. And then I cook it at home. Why did you decide to explore that side of it? Great question. So there's nothing better than having a pizza on a pizza out of the wood burning oven, you know, fresh in a pizza on a restaurant. And for that reason, we're so focused and have always been, this is definitely a through line in my career, so focused on the product and product first and the quality and the sanctity of the product that for the first year that we were open, and this is unheard of as a pizza restaurant, we did not offer takeout. Wow. We, we did, uh, we honestly went down the road of maybe um, creating and patenting our own pizza box. I mean, there was just nothing. We we're like, we don't want people to eat a pizza on a pizza after being in a cardboard box. It's right. not going to be the same. Yeah. So ultimately what we came up with was the sort of almost all the way cooked, but fresh toppings on the side, you finish it off in your oven at 500 degrees for like 90 seconds, throw those fresh toppings on, and it is almost exactly like eating it in the restaurant. I and see. people love it. They love it. And they can entertain with it in a big way. They can you know, get their 10 pizzas for their party in advance and then just kind of fire them as people need them. Um, but so that's how we, that's how we handled that to go situation. I think the idea is that whatever you're doing, um, you need to do it in an unexpected way. Think about mm -hmm. things, doing things outside the box. It's what entrepreneurs do. Yeah. All right. So, so for pizza, Anna, where can I, where do I go online? Best place to go online if I'm interested in ordering for oh, delivery. Sure. Well, if you want to be tempted by delicious images, you go to at Pizzana on Instagram. But if okay. you want to order Perfect. our pizza to be shipped nationally, you go go to Gold Belly. Pizzana, P-I-Z-Z-A-N-A. -Z -Z -A -A. Got it. All right. We'll have links to that as well on the show notes pages. 
All right, we'll move on. But I can talk about pizza all day because I'm a pizza <laughs> aficionado, I'm an amateur pizza aficionado, and I love the pizza and I love all styles of pizza. But this is the first time I had heard that term, neo Neapolitan, and I did a little research on it and learned about it. And so now I understand it. I'm excited to try it. I don't know that I have tried it, so I'm looking forward to doing so. But let's talk a little bit more about the book. We've been touching on it, but again, your latest book is called Sweet Success, A Simple Recipe to Turn Your Passion into profit. And the question I always have for authors is why did you write it? And, and ideally, who is it for? So this book is for anyone who's ever dreamed of starting a business, who is entrepreneurial, so to speak, or anyone who has started a business and needs a little push along the way. The book is from ideation to sale and told through the lens of my bootstrapping, scaling, and ultimately selling sprinkles. Um, so it's told through my perspective as a first-time founder. Um, obviously, I bring in the lessons I've learned since then as well, but I think that that is really the best way to sort of share my experience and pass along the lessons that I learned the hard way so that other people don't have to. Um, but it's really about sort of helping to hone the mindset that's really that's important for striking out on your own. Um, and then again, you know, making sure it's testing your thesis and testing your idea to make sure it's the right one to go all in on and then um, how to package it, how to build it and how to ultimately protect it. Um, yeah, it's a great book. A couple of things I want to ask you about specifically that, that as I was doing the research came to mind, one is about mindset. Cause I, I find that that's usually the biggest challenge we have, especially if it's our first time doing a business. And so I'd like to get a couple of your thoughts on that. You you talk about, you say, leaning into your frustrations, avoiding the groupthink. But what do you have, what have you found are some of the challenges with our mindset that maybe keep us from taking that leap? Well, I think that we are raised in a culture that says things are done a certain way and we are taught to see that at face value and accept that as face value. And entrepreneurs have to dig deeper, right? When you hear, well, that's the way it's always been done. That's when an entrepreneur's ears perk up because they think, huh, well, why? And can I make it better? And just even from a, a parenting perspective, I have two boys, 11 and 15, and I'm really teaching them to exercise that muscle of hmm, when something frustrates you, like, don't just get mad about it. Maybe that's an opportunity, right? Is it an opportunity to make something better? is an opportunity to create something that didn't exist before. Um, so, you know, I think whereas a lot of people will be frustrated by something and move on with their day, I like to say, take a beat and consider it, right? Um, you never know what can come with that sort of what if thinking. I mean, that's how I came up with the cupcake ATM. Right. Yeah. And in other words, no, nobody would have ever thought that would work. First of all, food is impersonal, you know. It, 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 why wouldn't somebody want to buy a cupcake out of an ATM? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So robotic. And then of course, during the pandemic, it moved all of our product because it <laughs> was contactless. <laughs> yep. I remember going specifically during the pandemic because at least you get it from the, from the uh, vending machine. Yeah, no. So that, that's a great insight there. The other thing that, that uh, stood out to me as I was reading about it is the point you make about step into a personal brand to amplify the business. Mm. I think Absolutely. what that means is because the reason it's interesting to me, Candace, is this is a challenge I have when I'm coaching people and they feel like, you know, we, we learn that we have to build a brand. However, what we have to realize is that to build a brand that stands on its own takes years, takes a lot of money to become a brand like, uh, let's say, Nike, which is faceless. Right. Initially, though, we need to take advantage of us. And our personality, especially if it applies to the business, is that what you're talking about here? Absolutely. I think we live in an age where people, they're curious about the products that they're consuming. And if they love a brand, they want more. They want to dig in a little deeper and a little further. And we saw that even with sprinkles. You know, I was standing behind the counter every day. People loved the cupcakes and they were super curious. Like, okay, this is a great cupcake, but how did this come to be? Where did you come from? Are these your grandmother's recipes? People really wanted to know my story. And I initially was sort of stayed away from the spotlight because, mm -hmm. you know, I was a baker. I was 
hospitality is really about giving and it wasn't about me. And then I realized people want that. People want to know, they want to hear from the founder. They want to understand not just what your brand stands for, but what you stand for. It really is such an opportunity, particularly now in this day and age of social media, these platforms are at our disposal and they're free and they're a way for people to really have an extra deep connection with the brand. And I have a lot of friends who are coming to entrepreneurship later in life and particularly women, we feel like, oh, we're not like, we're not camera ready. We don't want to, you know, turn our iPhone on ourselves and, and talk to our community because, you know, our hair doesn't look good or something. Right. And, and that is, I get it. I, I, succumb to that as well. But I do want to encourage people to get over that hump because it just really moves the needle. And I also have to say that in this new day, new day and age where more and more people are using TikTok, the rawer, the better. I, I mean, so. show up without makeup and you will have even more of an authentic connection with your community and your fans. Yeah, because I think people more and more we all read past the polish of a, a well-done commercial. Not that they're not effective, but I think it's resonating more and more how more genuine you are because I think people read through that. They understand if you're not being genuine, I think. That's right. And I, you know, I speak with a lot of um, aspiring business owners. A lot of them happen to be bakers and and they ask for my advice as they're just starting. And I said, get your TikTok up right now. And they said, well, I'm not, I'm not in business yet. I said, you know, doesn't matter. Everyone wants to see it from the very beginning. They want to see the behind the scenes. They want to see like the challenges you're struggling with. They're going to be rooting for you. Start building that community now. And that's one of the ways you talk about, you talk about bringing that brand of evangelist, that community, you start even before your launch. That's exactly right. And you want people to be rooting for you when they're rooting for you. They're telling their community about you. And that is really the holy grail of all marketing is that organic word of mouth. It's free. And those early evangelists, they'll go the extra mile to help you succeed because they it's almost like they were part of it. Oh, they, it is. It's like they're a part of a movement. And it's so fun for me to see because still to this day, people will say to me, well, I was your number one customer or <laughs> you have no idea how many people I introduced Sprinkles to. And it's true. Like they yeah. did our marketing for us. And I am so, so grateful. But I mean, it, the, hearing the pride that they take in how they helped us build our business is really special. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. All right. One, one last question here. We'll start to wrap it up. And you, you were talking about as you work with and and advise, and that's partly what led to this book. Is there another common mistake that you often see that that people have a tendency to potentially make as they're starting their first business? Something something that stands out. You know, you have some come a couple of things that stand out to you. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with a couple of things actually. So one, I would say, and this was I was a hundred percent guilty. I'm raising my hand right now, but this idea of perfectionism and control. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, I really, and it's just so silly, but I really thought because I knew my business best that I was the only one that could do my business. Right. And it's just so humbling when you finally start building a team and, and releasing some of those responsibilities that you hold so dear. And now I'll go into the bakery. You know, it's like, I can't even hold a candle to my <laughs> bakers and frosters now. Right. I mean, it's just right. ridiculous to think back and think the fact that I thought I was the only one that could do that. Um, so don't let, you know, perfect get in the way of yeah. good enough. That is so common though, Candace. I mean, because I think what I, the way that I've kind of thought about this is, is that is probably one of the reasons why we become entrepreneurs is that we, we see something in the market that's not quite right, or we want to do it better. And so it's, that's a really common thing that's hard to let go of. Yeah. I agree. And then I also think just in terms of some of the pitches that I see from people who are looking for, you know, angel investment. I think sometimes people skip over the competitive landscape a little bit too much. I don't think people do enough research studying the competition, but you have to know your competition to know how you're different and how you're positioning yourself. So that would be another um, piece of advice. I'd say really study the competition and know your differentiation. That's such a great takeaway because, you know, typically what I would hear from an angel investor, which I'm sure is also true, is that the pitch is really, I want to hear about you and your team. 
but hear what you're pointing out is I see people skip over this all the time, Candace. And I think it's in part wondering what you think that it's almost, it it shows me that you're being dismissive of the competition. Mm -hmm. And I think we have much better success of, of beating them at their game. If we are respectful of what it is that they do well, Uh, assuming you're telling me your space, there is nobody that does it well, but it's hard to believe that or somewhat well, but what is it that they do well? And what can you learn if you're telling me that nobody does it well? I think that I think we can get lazy in this aspect of it. So I'm glad you highlighted that. Thank you. Yes. No, I agree. We we can't have our blinders on. I know that's that right. We're as entrepreneurs, we're uh, the most optimistic people out there, and we believe we can do it best. And I want to see that confidence, but I also don't want to see it to the point where we're not being realistic about what the landscape looks like. Exactly. Yeah. Or arrogant about what we're going to offer. Exactly. All right. We'll start to wrap it up and tell me, uh, we talked about shipping internet, uh, shipping nationally rather, so I can get the pizza shipped nationally. Uh, but tell me about the new show, the best in dough show. Tell me a little bit more about that. Well, this is really a great example of personal brand amplifying the business. Um, it happened with me. I was on the show cupcake wars and sugar rush, as you mentioned, And it really exposed me and my brand to a whole new national and in the case of Netflix, international audience. And so in, you know, meeting Daniele and building Pizzana together, he is a great personality. I mean, you know, everyone can, can be a great personality on social media, but this was, he really had some star talent, um, in my eyes. And so I helped him co-create and executive produce a show along the lines of a cupcake wars, a food competition show, but it's pizza and um, it will be airing on Hulu. It's a really great, fun, family-friendly show. He is a pizza judge and maestro, but it's also the idea is that, you know, in a world where we can't agree on much, we all agree on pizza and pizza is for the people. So we have two, you know, sort of head judges, and then we have a, a crew of just People off the street, essentially, who also have a vote. <laughs> that could be me. <laughs> there you go. Interesting. Yeah. So great, great point about. It. Let me ask you this. You know, so for most of us, we don't have this option, access to go and and pitch a TV show. Uh, but you didn't. You know, you didn't have it at one point either. How do you translate this point though of what it does to amplify your brand for someone earlier in the process or just getting started? Absolutely. I mean, as I mentioned before, the social media platforms, Yeah. I, I want to caution people not to do them all. Consider what your business is. If it's visual, maybe it's Instagram or Facebook. Um, you know, if it's more sort of thought leadership, you want to go more, you know, Twitter, LinkedIn is always a great network for, you know, great, you know, high, um, great leads and high value leads rather. And just, you know, having a professional network is always important no matter what you do, but whether it's Pinterest or TikTok or Twitter or Instagram, everyone has access to these tools. Find what you like to do best and be consistent with it. Um, And, you know, be, be a student of the algorithm and the trends. For example, on TikTok, if you want to go in there, it's a great place because it's still kind of early and you can go viral and it's very exciting, but people don't really like straight sales on TikTok. They're real, uh, those Gen Zers, they're real skeptical if you come on there and just start selling. So you need to understand the platform that you're using. But then there's also, you know, you could create your own show on YouTube. You can find a videographer and, you know, a director on Fiverr. I mean, all of these tools are at our disposal these days. So lean into your talents. I mean, look at you with your podcast, right? I mean, anyone could do a podcast. Um, So there are so many ways to extend your brand and allow people to get to know you and feel a deeper connection uh, with you and the brand. And it's free marketing. So why wouldn't you? Yeah, great point. And we we need to take advantage of the fact that we have all this ever-growing platforms that are free for the most part. You know, there's production costs perhaps, but- No, of but yeah, course, there, of course. There's, I mean, there's like these platforms that are there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But but they're there for us at our disposable, at their disposal rather, use it to amplify our brand is, is the, the key takeaway there. All right. Speaking of books, your book again is called Sweet Success. A simple recipe to turn your passion into profits. Is there another book that comes to mind that uh, you have been recommending recently? I think one of the great classics for me is Essentialism by Greg McEwen. 
he really, um, I mean, focus for me is very challenging. I have a lot of things going on at once and I really like that, but being able to sort of tune out the noise and get, you know, certain projects completed, finished over that finish line, it's very challenging for me. Um, so it's a great reminder to just focus on your top priorities and he gives great advice for, for doing just that for people like me. I mean, I think in this day and age, we can all use more, um, prioritizing and focus. Absolutely. Is that early on when you started in the business, is that, I'm assuming that was, that's a challenge for a lot of us. You know, I call it shiny object syndrome for me. Um, some people have it more challenging and more properly diagnosed, but how did is prioritization one of the tools that you applied to keep that in check? You know, it's not my strength. I have to say that we're really lucky. My husband's father is actually, um, he used to be the CEO of a bank, but then he started doing this, these um, strategic planning sessions with different businesses. Wow, and he saw Charles and I running around like chickens with our heads cut off. And he said, guys, I'm coming in for the day. He brought his flip charts, his whiteboards, and he just broke it down into the simplest of terms of what we needed, what that meant, put a timeline on all of it and really held us accountable. And we were like, huh. Interesting. <laughs> Excellent. This is really helpful. Yeah. <laughs> and so then you've, you've followed similar approach to that since then in your businesses. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Sometimes you're just, you know, drinking from a fire hose, but it helps. You don't think you have the time to sit down and plan, right? But it will always pay back in spades to take that extra time, lay out where you're trying to go, what are the obstacles preventing you from getting there? And how are you going to, how are you going to do that? Yeah. Yeah. All right. We'll summarize here. What's one thing you want us to take away from this conversation that we've had really, I guess if I put a general uh, arc on it has been really about entrepreneurship and, and you've shared some of your incredible experiences and tips, but what's one thing you want to take away from this conversation? I think it's just to dream big dreams bet on yourself. It doesn't mean that you have to start a business, um, but we got one go at this. So, um, you know, go for it. Love that. And I think that, you know, you said at the outset, something that resonated with me as well. And I think with most people, one of the reasons you became your own boss is no one can limit you, right? Only yourself. Now our resources limit us, but for the most part, our dreams are only limited by what we can dream, right? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Don't. Yeah. And, and, and just because something seems impossible, doesn't mean you should, you know, dismiss it. That's that. What if magical thinking again, it has gotten me far and you can really exercise that muscle. And on one of these days, you know, they say luck is when, what happens when preparation meets opportunity. Um, so if you're exercising those muscles, one day you're going to land that great idea and you're going to go for it. I love that. All right, tell us again where you want us to go online to learn more. Sure. So on Instagram and TikTok, I'm at Candace Nelson. And then I also have a website, Candace-Nelson.com. Wonderful. Candace, this has been a great conversation. We could talk for hours. Thank you so much for sharing and for taking the time to be with me today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a treat. This is Henry Lopez, and thanks for joining me on this episode of The How of Business. My guest today again was Candace Nelson. I release new episodes every Monday morning, and you can find the show anywhere you listen to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and at my website, thehowofbusiness.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information about our coaching programs, online courses, show notes pages, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.